Oof. How about that? Man, good, good. All right. Well, I, I'm glad you guys are here this morning. Um, I, I wanted to tell you just a couple things uh, before I jump into the message this week. Uh, if you didn't know, Sunday, last week at this time, Robert Culler was laying on his bathroom floor having passed out. Um, his wife came home from retreat, found him. Uh, he had crawled to the bed, took him to the hospital, and he was just, just a niche away from needing to be in an ICU. And uh, um, for a day, it was, it was really iffy what was going on. And um, by Monday night, his body started a little bit of a re- recovery. And uh, by then, there was a pretty good amount of prayer going on. He's home now. Friday, he got to go home. They're home resting, and we're pretty excited about that. The nurse uh, um, said that probably had it just been a few hours later that she had arrived home from retreat, um, he, he might have been an ICU on a ventilator. So... Um, the Lord's grace, and um, he's home resting today and, and getting through. Um, Christine, last week you saw her here, uh, nine months pregnant. Um, this week she has a, a little boy in her arms, and, and so we're pretty excited about that for Marcus and Christine. Um, we were at the hospital, and sure enough, they had to have the baby at midnight. Um, so I would be really nice if you could think about the pastor's schedule, maybe somewhere around a 10 a.m. delivery would, would work, but, uh, but it, it was pretty, pretty exciting, and um, um, hopefully we'll, we'll go home today, if not tomorrow, um, so we're pretty excited uh, about that as well. So, so those are the happenings. Thanks for those who were praying all week for those things. Um, those were significant. So, so we've been talking about this season, um, this Grow to 200 is what we've been calling it, and we've been wanting to really keep at the focus and the forefront of who we are as a church, that we are a reaching church, that we are a church that wants to see new people come to know Jesus Christ. But just in case you've been sitting and you've been hearing us talk about Grow to 200, just in case you've been like, so, like, why, Tom? I mean, why are we locked into this? Why are we talking about this number? Why? Why is this? This morning, I want you to focus in. Because as we continue and really wrap up this Rethink Church series we need to rethink really what is our focus and purpose and then what is our sending uh, as a church. Next week, we're going to have a potluck together. We're going to have a, a, a missions focus. It's going to be a great time. But you know that potluck when we enjoy the food and fellowship one, one another, that's not our main key focus of why God assembles us here and then sends us out. And so I want you to focus in this morning and make sure you hear this, this final message in this re. Uh, this Rethink Church series that we've been talking about. And this morning, I actually, I have the privilege of walking you through a passage that kind of made an impact in my own life, in my own devotional life. Just a few weeks ago, I was able to share a tidbit with the men on Wednesday nights. And uh, I wanted, uh, uh, kind of been waiting for the opportunity to write it out and share it with you uh, as well. So we're going to jump right into it. If you have your Bibles, it's Romans chapter 10 that we're going to look at, starting in verse 13. And we'll provide it on the screen uh, as well if you don't have your, your Bible. And we want to walk through this. And I imagine like Paul, who's the one writing this, this book, this letter really to the Romans, I imagine as he's writing this letter, he's writing to this little church at the time in the town of Rome And he's trying to remind the church, really, what makes God's heart beat. And he says something, and I think it's just profound. And here's what he says, Romans chapter 10, verse 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Everyone. That's the word that captured me when I read this. Everyone. Every Duke fan that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Every Tar Heel. Every Republican, every Democrat, every immigrant, every socialist, every inmate, like every straight person, every gay person, every person you like, every person you can't stand, every person that you would prefer not to be around, associate with, or even talk with, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, I need to ask you a question that God asked me a few weeks ago. How wide is your everyone? I mean, how wide and expansive is your everyone, or is it quite narrow? Like, is your point of view like when somebody who is, is like you or uh, talks like you or likes the same things as you, acts like you, maybe thinks like you, votes like you, lives in the same neighborhood, drives the same kind of car that you do, like if somebody like you enjoy being around, are they part of the everybody? And I believe Paul, like he's speaking to this little church in Rome and we're a little church in Greensboro. And I think if he could take the stage, like, he would want to really expound on this issue and push our perspective and our worldview and widen our understanding of everyone. Now, um, I can see uh, some of you already squirming in your chair for uh, a little bit, so let me just uh, help you out for just a second. This is not a message about lessening God's standards or his commands to us as followers of his word. It's not what this is about. It's not one of these teachings that like kind of lessen the biblical belief system that's kind of under attack in our culture today. Not what it's about at all. This is not about us, us saying to you today, hey, we're going to come off of some of our stances that you've heard us talk about through God's word uh, for, uh, up to this point, not in the least. But it is a message about understanding that God has called everyone to know him as Lord. He's called everyone, and everyone has that opportunity to call on his name. That's what our focus is about this morning. So stay locked into that as we keep going. Now, um, this uh, church in Rome, right, I imagine they're, they're sitting around and they're listening to this letter being read that, that Paul's reading, and they're like, uh, maybe like you and me, they're like, uh, well, uh, how do we do it? Um, you know, uh, who do we go to? And Paul's like, yeah, I got some thoughts on that. And he starts sharing with them after the verse that we've read, starting in verse 14, and this is what he says. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one to whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without somebody preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? You see, for Paul, he's trying to remind the church in Rome here. He's saying, look, if you're, if you're going to be the kind of community that goes out and sees every living, breathing person call on the name of the Lord, then you've got to be a people that goes. You've you got to be a people that goes. I mean, people got to feel like they're sent, like they're, they're stepping out of their comfort zone. They're leaving the familiar. And and they're being willing to, like, risk and to preach. And when I say preach, I don't mean, like, you know, you got to come up with a three-point sermon and, like, all the points start with the letter P. So, you know, it works all nice and tidy like that. That's not what I'm saying at all. 
But you've got to be willing to share your story. Your story about what God did in your life and how he transformed you. And when you share this story, get this, somebody just might hear it. And when they hear your story, when they hear about who you were and now who you belong to, guess what? They just might believe. And when they believe, they might just call on the name of the Lord and the scripture tells us they will be saved, redeemed, restored, like everyone, always. That's what Paul's getting at in this passage. Now, if you're sitting here and you're wondering, well, um, how do I know if I'm sent? It's a fair question, right? I would say in Paul's mind, once you've called on the name of the Lord and you've been saved, you just got sent. You just got sent is what he's saying. Again, let me bring this process to you just so you understand where we're going because the rest of this sermon is in this context. Um, You, like me, just like me, are being sent. To who? Everyone. To do what? To preach. To preach what? The gospel through your story. That's what Paul's getting at here. In our story, why? In hopes that someone might hear what you have to say. And when they hear that this story of like how you've tasted and you've seen God's goodness, how you've experienced God's grace like firsthand, well, man, they just might believe. They just might believe. And in that, they'll call on the name of the Lord, be saved. And guess what? They'll be sent just the same as you are sent. And that's the move of God. That's like rethinking church. That's what we're talking about here. It's called the invitational life. It's what we're called to live, and it's what Paul is talking about here. Now, I want to look for a moment at the, really the master of the invitational life, and that's Jesus himself. And I want you to see in the life of Jesus how he models what we're talking about here. He, he understood really the way his followers uh, should orient their lives for God. So we're going to take a look at, at Luke chapter 14 and, uh, and walk through this just a bit. And I imagine there's like this group seated around the table. Um, actually, it starts in verse 16 and shares, uh, tells us this. They're sitting around the table, and I imagine that the people are just kind of listening to Jesus. And guess what he does? He decides to tell a story, just like we tell our kids a story sometime. It's a parable. It's a story that teaches And it's a story that really tells about what God's heart beats for. So here's the story. Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 16, it says this. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Like like the lamb's ready and the meat's ready and uh, the band has showed up and... and, uh, now's the time to come and celebrate. So come on now. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Now you got to dig kind of low to bring out that excuse. I mean, I'm, I'm really pumped about going to check out my oxen. You know, woo! I don't know. It probably just out of context for me. Um, still another, I've just got married, so I can't come. Rookie mistake here. Um, just got married. He's already blaming his wife here. Uh, it doesn't look good. doesn't look good for this young marriage. The servant came back and reported this to his master. So here's what he did. He went out. He did what his master said. Um, he said, I went to your friends. I went to your invitees. And guess what? They won't come. 
They have excuses. They're not willing to come. So, so, so what do we do now? And I wonder, have you ever like experienced this? Like you have like five names in your Rolodex that you've called and you've invited to come to church or to just to maybe have a conversation about Jesus. And like you've got like no's across the board on all of this. They've said, you know, I, I, I'm just, I'm too busy to come with you to church. I got too much going on this weekend. And I think for many of us, what we feel like after that is like, okay, well, I'm now retired from this invitational life thing. Now I kind of went through my names and nobody was, uh, nobody was up for it. So I'm, uh, I've kind of given up. I'm kind of done. And if that's you, I want you to know you're narrowing your view of everyone. And that's what this parable is teaching us. You see, Jesus wants to teach us the master's view is how to widen our understanding of who everyone truly is. So the servant comes back, right? And he says, uh, I, I went out and I did what you said and they won't come. And then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go now quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And we find that the servant goes out and he does this. And he comes back and I imagine he's a little more excited than the first time he went out. And he says, I went out and I did that and some of them came, but guess what? There's still more room for your your banquet. And here's what I love about this story is that the master is trying to expand this servant's view of who to invite. And you see, the truth is, I believe that for each of us, you, you all have people in your lives that look up to you. You have somebody in your life, maybe somebody older or younger, your peer, somebody that's drawn to something in your life, something they respect and they admire, which means this, you have influence in their life. You have connection in their life already. And what the master is trying to teach the servant here is just because you went to to your friends or my friends, the master's friends in the story, just because you went there and there's this whole group that you're unaware of. There's this whole group that at this point in time, your eyes just aren't seeing that you can go to and make that invitation. I remember in high school, um, I uh, used to see this guy who was walking to school. I, I was driving at the time and he was walking to school every day. And uh, I was kind of clean cut kid and he was like a total Hessian rocker. So you remember when we used to call um, there, that I mean, he, he had the, the long hair and it was scraggly and the ripped jeans and all that kind of stuff. And he fit in perfect with the 80s metal scene. And, uh, and so he would walk and I would pass him <laughs> every day. And one night, my, uh, my youth pastor was talking really about this kind of topic we're talking about today, this widening our view of everyone. And I always thought, well, all my friends are Christians. I mean, they brought me to know the Lord. I was a new Christian at the time. They were already Christians. They brought me. Now we're all Christians, you know? And that's what was my view. And then as I sat one night after that message, it really, like God said, hey, what about the Hessian? And I was like, oh, okay. I hadn't even thought about that. And uh, it was kind of like God was using that line in my life when I said, well, what do I do, Lord? And the line of the uh, famous, famous cinema classic film, um, Dumb and Dumber, when he just said, pick him up. And that's, like, that's what hit me. Pick him up. And so the next morning as I drove to school, that's exactly what I did. I pulled over and said, hey, man, you want to ride? I would love to tell you that that guy, Darren was his name, I'd love to tell you that he came to know the Lord 
and like he's a pastor today preaching somewhere. Uh, and if it happened, it wasn't on my watch. I didn't see it happen. But I can tell you this, um, the invite was made a few times to someone I otherwise would never have invited. And I had relationship, friendship with that guy up till graduation and kind of lost contact from that point. How wide is your everyone? Or is it very narrow? So the servant comes back and says, Sir, servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told the servant, Go, you're sent, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I love this. The master's saying, I want you to go to like the far off places, the places you've never even thought of. If there's still room at the banquet, I want you to go to every alley, every person who's standing alone. I want you to go to every outsider, every person who feels unseen, every person that's hurting, every person who has never crossed your consciousness before. I want you to go to that person and take the invitation because you know what kind of party I throw. You know the food I serve. You know the band that's going to be playing. You know the community. You know the celebration that's going to happen. He says, go compel them. And when we look at compel, this word compel in this context, it really, it's like a force that's greater than yourself because it's so deeply moving to you. It's deeply personal to you that you want to extend the invitation and to invite. You see, again, this master's trying to expand his worldview of everyone. How wide is your everyone? Or is it very narrow? Now, Jesus, um, if you flip through the pages of the Gospels, you will see that he gets very irritated by certain groups of people, and no more irritated than in people that have a very narrow view of everyone. The temple was massive in Jesus' day, a massive configuration. And it was a tourist attraction. Even in Jesus' time, people would come from all over to see it. Now, you might hear about the temple and be amazed by what, how it was described, but to go see the temple in Jerusalem was, was kind of like, as we would talk, a Grand Canyon kind of experience. And so people would come from all over to see the temple. People would also come from all over, Jewish people, so that they could worship at the temple. Do you imagine worshiping at your hometown and then traveling on this great pilgrimage to see this massive temple and being allowed to go in and worship like you did in your hometown? It'd be like, you know, for, for you and I to worship in this context and then you fly to a huge cathedral in Europe and you got to like have the same type of worship expression, worship service that you experienced here. That'd be a pretty awesome experience. And so they would make this pilgrimage to see the temple or to worship in the temple. Now, imagine you're coming to Jerusalem. You're coming with your family to to visit this amazing thing you've heard of, right? And you're excited, like, for the whole family to come and experience this pilgrimage. And if you're Jewish, you're excited to actually say, I'm going to go in and and worship. We're going to bring our sacrifice to the temple here, and you've prepared and packed it up and brought it. But when you get there, like one of the sections that you have to go in because you're a foreigner, and there was a separate entrance for you as a foreigner, you're an outsider, you learn it's kind of been closed off because there's this indoor bazaar going on, this kind of religious store that's set up, and they're selling you know, animals and religious trinkets and all this kind of stuff, and there's, that's happening 
And, and you're told you, you can either kind of hang out here or you can buy something if you're Jewish and, you, and we'll allow you to buy your sacrifice and you can go in and you can worship with the sacrifice you buy from the marketplace here or from the store here that we have set up in the temple courts. And if you weren't Jewish and you just came to see the temple, uh, out of luck. And there, there you are standing outside the temple and you're thinking outside the presence of God. And now you can understand when Jesus sees this stuff going on, I mean, when he sees the religious leaders setting up these tables and exploiting the foreigners and the local poor people as well, this store that they'd used that said, this is your only chance to go through this store to be able to worship at the temple, they're really oppressing the people who desperately need to encounter something from God. And so this is why the book of John shares the story this way. John chapter 2 starting in verse 15. So he made a whip out of cords, and he drove all of, the, all of them from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers, and he overturned the tables. To those who sold doves, he said, and, and now he quotes an Old Testament passage here. He says, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. And we find in Matthew, Matthew's description in Matthew 21, he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. Now, when you and I read that, we kind of skip on to the next passage. We move along and say, man, get after Jesus, and we keep moving on. But there's something that's happening here. You see, if, if you're an ancient Jewish culture, most Hebrew people, they would have memorized the entire Old Testament of the Bible, especially the, the Jewish males, the entire Old Testament of the Bible, like even Leviticus. I mean, can you imagine? That's strong. Memorizing. Now, this is pretty cool. Um, there's this technique called the Ramaz, and, and the Ramaz was simply this, that you would say a phrase, and then you would stop, and whatever you did not say, that was kind of like the punchline for the audience to either say or at least think in their head. Sometimes they would actually recite it verbally, and other times it was just something you would know in your head. So it was like you could say the first line of something, and then you knew the rest of what it was, even though it didn't have to be recited. And so it'd be kind of like this. If I said to you this morning, amazing grace, how sweet the... Yeah, you got it. That saved a wretch like... Yeah, and we could go on and on like that. That's kind of what was happening here. But remember, they had such large chunks of Scripture memorized that the first line could often be said and the rest of the passage could be recited. Now, what's happening here with Jesus? Jesus quotes actually from Isaiah 56, 7, and he says, My father's house will be a house of prayer. And he leaves off a certain phrase that every Jewish person would have known. My father's house will be a house of prayer for all nations. They would have known that immediately. So when Jesus is like flipping over the tables of the temples, he's seeing the, the Jewish re religious leaders having this like narrow view of everyone. And it infuriates him, obviously, because he declares, look, my father's house is a place for every person, every nation, anyone can come and hear from my father, is what Jesus is saying. And God understands that when we, like, gather as a body of believers, that there are people that are always with us that are exploring the faith, that are, that are not believers yet, but they're wanting to know about the faith. 
and we're actually helping them prepare themselves for heaven. Because Revelation 7, 9 tells us, after I looked at this, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, always. It's not automatic. That Everyone has to call on the name of the Lord. Some of you in your head are like, yeah, Tom, but, um, you know, in order to follow Jesus, you follow God, you, you know, you got to repent. You got to turn your life around. You got to uh, surrender to God and follow his ways. Agreed. With you. 100%. Don't let, though, that truth be a cop-out to what we're talking about this morning. And don't put that aside. Make sure you understand and catch what we're talking about this morning that everyone who calls on God's name will be saved, and that you and I are sent to everyone. Now, Jesus doesn't stop there. You'll, you'll see in the Gospels, he teaches this other parable, a parable uh, many of us are familiar with, and, and this is the parable. Uh, uh, the, this is the one about a soil and a farmer, and it's known as the parable of the sower. If you've been around church world enough, you've probably known this. If not, I encourage you just just look it up, Google parable of the sower, and read along maybe on your own time. But in this, this whole parable, it's really about four types of soil, and it's symbolizing four different types of hearts or different types of listeners here. And there's, there's part of the story where there's people that are open to hear what is being said, and there's some people that are not open to hear what's uh, being said here. So uh, I want you to understand, in sharing God's Word, you— you're never responsible for somebody, how somebody responds. That's God's part. But each of, us, each of us, really, we're all called to be the role of the farmer in this story. You see, a farmer loves to sow seeds, right? They cast seed wherever they need to, to cast seed. I've been over to Dan Kidder's garden at his house, and I assume you enjoy uh, casting that seed or putting that down. It looks really nice. Um, I appreciate it if maybe your Christian generosity would come over and plant my garden next year. But that's what farmers do. In Jesus' time, even more so when they didn't have, you know, 2,000 years of farming technology behind them that we, that we have since the day of Jesus. And so they scattered seed, hoping for a growth, hoping for life, hoping for a crop to sprout up wherever they cast the seed. It's just what they did. Every year when I overseed my yard, can I tell you the thing I'm worried about the most when I overseed? Um, besides it not coming up, um, I've just gotten beyond that point. But it's, will I run out of seed? That's what I'm always nervous about. I'm always thinking about the setting on the Scott spreader. Um, what do I need to set it? I know, the, I know the, the book says five, but there's no way I can do five and make it. So I'm thinking about, am I actually going to run out of seed? So sometimes, you know, I'll skip a few spots because I'm thinking, well, that's kind of good in that area, but I better get this area. And there's some areas where I just all together say, that, that, that probably doesn't need any at all. Or if I do, it won't even come up there. Sometimes I put it in my hand and I hand walk it and drop it, sometimes as little as just a few seeds in my fingertips, and drop it in just a little area, and put just a little dirt over it, and just hope and pray something might happen. You know, that's it, pretty good. I think that's a good approach when we're talking about perennial rye at $50 a bag, um, but when we're talking about sharing the gospel and sharing our story, we don't have to have an approach like that. 
Can I just tell you, you will never run out of seed when you're sharing your faith. You'll never run out of that when you're sharing your story. And some of us, I think we're actually, that's how we share the gospel. Like we're going to run out of seed. So we're really select in how we scatter that. We say, well, I can maybe talk to that person. They seem kind of like a church person. I'll talk to them about Jesus, but can't really talk to that person. And I don't know if I can go into Starbucks and talk to people there, but I, um, I wouldn't dare say anything at school. And um, that person is really mean, so, you know, no, no seed for you. Um, it, so we just, that's how we're thinking. Um, but listen, I'm telling you, Windover Hills, you can't run out of seed. You can't run out of seed. You have grace and you cannot run out of God's grace. It's everywhere you go, the opportunity to share and spread. I love what Dallas Willard once said. Check this out. The disciples can burn through grace faster than any sinner ever could. You know what he's saying? That we just think there's just so, there's so little grace where a sinner comes and says, Lord, receive me. I, I, give me your grace, Lord. You can't ever run out of seed. If you have the seed of grace, you want to give that away because that's what we are called to do. Now, some of us uh, say, uh, well, how do we do that? How do we, how do, we do this where we're, we're constantly scattering seed and sharing and throwing this seed wherever we go in conversation or wherever we end up? I want to give you a phrase, and then I want to kind of process it for the last couple minutes, and I want to kind of teach you what to do. Because I, I really believe in this invitational life that when you have this view of scattering, you're going to start to understand more and more how wide God's heart beats for everyone. So here's the phrase. Got to look for good. You got to look for need. Relentlessly invite someone to come and to see. That's the phrase I want you to remember. Look for good. What does that mean? It means, look, when I walk into a situation, into an environment, I'm always looking for the good. Where's the connection point? Where's the good thing that's already going on with this? Now, it's easy for us to to look at things, and we, we kind of look at things that are different when we see people. And often it's not just the thing that are different. We look for the things that we're more correct in, right? Well, they're over there doing that. Well, I'm probably more right in my life because I don't do that, or I do do that, and they don't, and, and whatever. It's so easy for us to kind of look at situations like that. And we often, we find things that we subtly elevate ourselves over somebody when we walk into the room. It's like thinking, what, what team do they like? How are they dressed? What do they like? What do they talk about? What do they talk like? Um, we look at different, and often sometimes we look at the bad. And often, I want to be honest, uh, there's times in my life where I would look for the sin first. I'd walk in and say, okay, I wonder how, who, how pagan are these people? What are they doing out there? And, and I'm looking for, it's almost like I'm starting in Genesis chapter 3 in my relationship. You know what's in chapter 3? The fall. Sin enters the picture. And I've learned and I believe that we have to first, like, find the good. And when we find the good, we're looking for a place that seed can be planted. We're looking for a way that God, like, God might already be working in somebody's life, right? And we're just going to get on board with what God is already doing. The good is already there, and we have this opportunity. Don't close the door before you ever identify it's even a door, And guess what, guys? It's not that hard. It really isn't when we start looking 
at things this way. We live in a culture that's so um, sometimes angry or so cynical or even judgmental, and we should be the compelling force for good as believers in Jesus Christ. And we start looking for the good that God's already doing. I mean, guess what? We earn this opportunity to actually show them what really is good, God himself. So here's what we do sometimes. Sometimes we get so nervous about like our seed or our invitation that um, we're nervous about it being rejected, rejected. So guess what we do? We actually say no for them before they can ever say no for themselves. You, you know what I'm talking about? You ever do that? I mean, we, we, we say no for them. And you put the seed back in your pocket. That's, that's not the invitational life. The invitational life is it's looking for places to cast seed constantly. But we also have to look for need Did you know that every single one of us, you and I are included, are in this process and we have things that God is seeking to redeem, seeking to redeem. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there is something in your life God is calling you up to that he wants to redeem within you to sanctify you even more, every one of us. I was happy to hear this story about uh, our women's retreat last weekend. There was a woman who invited a friend to come along uh, on the retreat. That's not uncommon. Happens quite a bit, right? But while they were there, this friend was met by Jesus. She opened her heart to this relationship with Jesus. After one of the Bible stories one night, this lady said, that's my story. That's my story. And she actually got mentored by a, a strong spiritual lady, got mentored on, on how God works in someone's life. So it's just a wonderful story of God's grace and meeting this lady. And I want you to know, I was really grateful to hear this testimony of new faith. I was really excited. But I was so, so grateful to know that this woman of our church took the time to see a friend's need and to do whatever they needed to do, to work whatever angle so that they could invite this friend to go to a place where she could meet Jesus. That's what happened. And when we look for the need, like something profound can happen when we look for that. The door like swings wide open and we get to invite somebody. And guess what we get to invite them to? We get to invite them to come and see if this, there's more to this Jesus thing than they've experienced up till now. Let me tell you a story about my friend uh, Tim Church who found his way to Wendover Hills. Now, um, his brother, Andrew, who you get to hear playing the drums every week, uh, he had a heart to see his brother kind of get his life back on track and to get into church, right? And he was looking for a good, some connection, and they both uh, enjoyed playing softball, right? Yeah, and softball. And uh, we had a church league softball team, sort of. I mean, we had nine or ten guys, and... I think it was softball that we went out and played. And so Andrew asked if Tim could join the, the Wendover Hills church team. And we said, you know, okay, yeah, that's fine. Come on out. And now um, this is like a select group of softball players, all right? I, I mean, if we're going to maintain our record of winning like one game every season, we can't just bring anybody on our team, all right? Um, like, if you've got, like, ability to catch, throw, and hit, you, you might be a little above what we can handle on, on our team. But he, fortunately, Tim uh, was able to reach, reach the standard to uh, keep us at the status quo. So we uh, invited him to join us. And, and really, Andrew knew that Tim needed to connect with a crowd that would be a better impact and influence on his life. 
So Tim played that season with us. We won our one game. I think we won one game. Was that a real one or was that the forfeit win? I'm not sure. We're going to say it was the real one. There was a night a team didn't show up, and we proudly took that win. Proudly. Yeah. Five months later, uh, Tim showed up at our church. Five months after softball season, he showed up at our church. And soon after that, he made a life commitment to Jesus, and we baptized him and his wife here. It's really not that hard when you're looking for the good. What is God already doing? And you're looking for the need. What does this person need in their life? And then we get this opportunity to creatively to invite someone just to come and see. To invite them to come and see. What's so amazing to me is that at the end of this Romans passage that we've been reading, that this is what Paul says. It's pretty cool. He says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are the feet. How beautiful. I mean, I mean, this is ancient Middle East. They're wearing, you know, they're barefoot or they're wearing sandals. Feet are not very attractive, right? I even think today for me, like, um, I usually don't wear my flip-flops in front of you because I'm not ecstatic about uh, the beauty of my feet. We don't think about feet being as beautiful. I mean, in this day and age, they were stinky, they were dirty, they were disgusting, yet every time they were sent, Everywhere they were sent, there was something, something happened that just transformed those dirty feet into something that's described as beautiful. Genesis chapter 3, God said there was going to be somebody who would crush the head of Satan, and he would do it. He'd crush your head. And, it, and then in Romans 16, four, uh, excuse, chapter 16, Paul says, the, peace, the God of peace will soon crush Satan where under your feet. Every time you're sent... Every time you go, every time you're like throwing seed and bringing good news, your feet are beautiful. You're, I mean, you're crushing the evil one. You're crushing his message. And you're sharing with someone and proclaiming the good news. That is the invitational life. That is what we are each called to. So I've got to ask you, um, are there faces Are there faces and places that God is calling you to so that your view of everyone can be widened? Are there these faces that he's calling you to scatter seed to? That somebody just might call on the name of the Lord and be saved. How wide is your everyone? Let's never make it narrow. There's this old hymn and it kind of captures this this transformation that God does in someone's life when he calls them and they, they call on his name and they're saved. It's called Amazing Grace. And today, uh, really, churches all over the nation are singing this song. It's National Amazing Grace Sunday. And though we're not a super traditional church that sings a ton of old hymns, this one is so significant and important for us. And in just a minute, we're going to sing that. And as we do, I wonder... If there are many of you who felt God's voice just a little louder this morning, like we're all called to the invitational life, but I wonder if for, there's some of you this morning, like you're like, man, that just, that just really impacted me real. Like I'm, I, I don't do that in my Christian walk. I don't make that part of my Christian life, but I know I'm called to that. And how awesome it would be if God used me to have somebody say yes to him. Maybe that just hits you in a, in a real way 
just a super real way this morning. And if that's you, um, if you're saying, look, I, I'm, I'm committing to that invitational life, to scattering seed, to going out and widening my understanding of everyone, then I want to invite you to do something. As we start singing in just a minute, the first verse, I want to invite you just to stand, sing it as you stand and sing, and you're declaring with your standing, yeah, there, this is what I want to be. You see, I believe that as a church, this is our passion. This is our interest. But you might have to solidify something individually this morning as well. If you've already said, hey, I I solidified this years ago and this is the life I've been living, then you can stand in bold confidence. If this morning God is calling you to it, you stand in the same confidence trusting that his grace and his strength will go before you and help you become this as well. So we're going to sing the first verse. If God has so spoke to you or you have the, that commitment, would you, would you stand and declare that this morning and, and we'll sing.